0: Business is simple. It's just not easy. We focus on three things to help you run and grow your business more easily. Talent, sales, and how to scale. This is the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. Everyone, Brian Whittington with this episode of the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. We have Jeff Risley on. He is the chief growth officer over at Saxum. So it's going to be kind of a cool conversation. I'm not sure exactly where this is going to go, but we're going to be talking about today is how do we leverage MarTech and sales leadership with conscious capitalism, whatever that is. So this is going to be the conversation. So welcome to the
1: show, Jeff. Thanks a lot, Brian. I really appreciate being on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And before I go into my first question, let's get into some perspective. Would you say that you're a marketing person who knows sales or are you a salesperson who knows marketing so we can kind of filter your perspective a bit?
1: It's a great question. I am a marketing person that has also been practicing sales for a very long time.
0: Got it. Okay. So a marketing person who is practicing sales. I I like that answer. So now what makes you then such an expert that we should listen to you about MarTech and sales leadership with conscious capitalism and that that confluence, right? Because there's a lot of churn, a lot of turbulence at the confluence of those three. So what makes you such an expert on this that we should listen?
1: Mm, Okay. So that's interesting. So When you say should listen, I'm going to I'm going to translate that to say why they should even trust, perhaps (laughs) anything I have to say, Um, you know, trust is really all about chemistry, character, competence, credibility, and nobody hears anything I've said yet. So they can't really build chemistry. They don't know how competent I am. I'm going to lean on the credibility answer here, Brian, because I've been doing this for about 30 years now both B2C brands, B2B brands, corporate side agencies. I've been lucky enough to encounter a lot of marketing and sales scenarios. So I think that's why I might have something to offer to all your listeners. I've just been around long enough and had enough jobs where I've got to apply a lot of this theory and see it play out.
0: Yeah. And and you have a couple of different angles that we can go, right? So one of the things that you talk about is Uh, MarTech. And Mm -hmm. I'll hit that in a little bit, but let's go to what, because I think a lot of people are like, what is even conscious capitalism about? Why don't we hit that? And then we can tie in, how does MarTech and sales leadership relate to those? So I guess, first off, what is even conscious capitalism? What is it?
1: Sure. So, So conscious capitalism is a movement in business that's been around for several years, got a lot of traction in the I would say the early 2000s, and it's an answer to a lot of what business was in the 70s and 80s. So, you know, if you think about Milton Friedman, an economist, famous economist, who basically moved the country business-wise into shareholder-centric models, right? Business exists to take care of the shareholder, period. So the conscious capitalist kind of came about and said, I don't, I'm not sure that's actually right, right? Actually, it should be to take care of all stakeholders, shareholders included, got to make a profit, got to take care of the shareholders, but business has a higher bar. It needs to meet a bunch of other demands on it in society, taking care of the employees, taking care of the communities in which you might work and live and practice your business, whatever it is, you know, taking care of the environment. Um, All of these are things that are tenants within the conscious capitalism movement. So it was really started by um, uh, the gentleman that started – oh, my gosh, you just blanked now – on Whole Foods. John Mackey started Whole Foods, really was one of the early um, uh, believers in this tenant. And then guys like Mark Benioff at Salesforce and a bunch of other folks have really brought it to life. So it's about purpose in business beyond just shareholders is what it's about.
0: Now, is this – akin to like a B Corp kind of thing or?
1: Well, that's that's a great point. It's actually uh, similar. A B Corp is one that has been certified by B Corp Lab, having met a lot of tenants in conscious capitalism, but beyond that as well. So it's a like a badge you could wear and you have to go through a process to maintain that badge. Um, but you can absolutely be a conscious capitalist without being a B Corp
0: okay now you brought up salesforce and that i wasn't expecting you to say salesforce because if you look yeah. at salesforce it was disruptive it changed a lot they charged for everything i would say that they are one of the least customer focused i think that's changing a little bit now but especially in the early days to me they were one of the least customer focused companies out there and they made a killing so i'm kind of curious how are you tying salesforce.com into this, into this environment of conscious capitalism. Yeah,
1: you know, it's it's interesting. Of course, everybody's going to have their own view based on their experience working with a particular brand, right? Right. Um, I'm pu- only putting it in the conscious capitalism camp because Mark Benioff does. Mark, the you know the founder and CEO, he has really, I think, at least made a public push to say, "I want to, I want our company." to represent more than just shareholder value. I want it to uh, be there to help the communities that we work in and our people work in. I want to be here for the employees. I, you know, I want to be here for more than just me, the shareholder, or in this case, you know, the public holders of shares. So I think he has put it there. My experience with them you know, has been very good. We use Salesforce. Um, I know Salesforce well as part of the marketing technology stack. We're actually a HubSpot um, partner. So we do a lot with HubSpot ourselves. So I think, Brian, at the end of the day, the the leaders of a company may say they are conscious capitalists, but ultimately the customers are probably going to judge whether or not you are.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. And that's going to be both the internal and external customer, and especially with the great resignation. And we're talking a little bit about purpose here, so we can Mm -hmm. give it to that. Uh, one of the things that I'm I'm seeing out there is the Gen Zs, a little bit of the Millennials are, are very much purpose. Well, I'd say a lot of the Millennials too. They're very much purpose focused. They'd rather take a pay cut to have a, a really good opportunity and a really impactful type of company uh, from whatever it is that they they appreciate. It's very purpose driven. So how are we then going to combine Martech that because because if you look at hubspot their numbers right you brought up your partnership with hubspot since january of 2020 their benchmark year there emails are up 151% sales emails are up 151% Calls are up 151 percent, so both of those combined. While email reply rates are down 38 percent, so they're not getting there's so much noise out there. The number Mm -hmm. of conversations now, from the 151 percent increase in number of outreach or calls, we're at least getting a little bit more productivity there. We're seeing a 53 percent higher number of conversations. So we're actually talking to one another again. Crazy idea, I know. Uh-huh. Um, and thankfully from that, you know, we're seeing about 24% more deals. But there's a lot of noise out there. And one of the biggest reasons for that is sales tech and Martech. And, and I'm I'm wondering how are you, how is your group aligning that added noise to this uh, conscious
1: capitalism? So that was a great question. I wasn't familiar with those stats, but I tell you, I can feel it myself as (laughs) as well as, you know, the practice we have in our own marketing here at Saxon and what we advise clients on. So I guess the way I would answer that question, Brian, is that there's always been noise in marketing, right? And there's always been waste in marketing. It's just different now. And in fact, I would argue that because we are trying to be more purposeful as a business, at least in our case, we are absolutely trying to be more relevant to the people we are reaching out to and talking to. So whether it's you know prospects or people that are already in our funnel somehow, I think most companies are making a legitimate attempt to be more conscientious about how they speak to those people and giving them content that is helpful and, and empathizes with the problems they're trying to solve as a business. Now, we are in the professional service business, so, so that's exactly what we do. We're trying to help clients solve problems. Um, so in terms of just the noise, I think it's the efficiency that we have. But I also think there's always been noise. We we're just better at it than we are today.
0: No, whenever you say we're, we were better at it than we are today, can you unpack that a little bit? What, what does sure. that mean?
1: I think that there was so much waste in the noise that occurred. So if you just take broadcast advertising, for example, mm-hmm. I mean, you're blanketing a single message to a bunch of people that could really care less about what it is you have to say or sell. And today, we're, we're, our clients are rarely doing that unless they're B2C clients, right? And even when they are advertising, we're trying to be way more targeted with messages through, you know, every, through our paid media efforts, through our owned and earned. And when we put those messages out there, it's not a spray and pray kind of thing. We're trying to connect with somebody and a problem they have at a specific point in their buying journey. So I think today we've gotten much more sophisticated and Martech has made this possible that we can get closer and closer to a one-to-one message that Peppers and Rogers wrote about back in 1992 um, when they were talking about this possibility, right message to the right person at the right time. And yeah, there's more of it, but it's much more efficient, much more targeted than it used to be when I started my career.
0: Okay, now let's tie, uh, and I'll, I'll start to try to bring these together, but let's now swing over to the sales leadership side. Or even from a leadership perspective, so I have to hit a number. Whether no matter what, capitalism and and listen, I'm an unabashed, unapologetic capitalist. I, I believe that it's the it allows normative that market. the market will figure things out. It might be overpriced for a little bit, but that's where more competition comes in. And we're going to do a lot better there. And and you don't see socialist countries. uh, Look at Cuba, look at Venezuela, right? They're not creating wealth. They're creating harm to to the universe from both the economy to their people, And there's no sustain for the environment. So even environmentalism, you can't get there. So again, just so you know my perspective, I am an unabashed uh, capitalist. That said, for capitalism to work, you have to have those returns and you want that constant growth. If you're not growing, you're dying. How are you suggesting to the sales leaders then and these to be a conscious capitalist, not burn out your people, Yet drive revenue because we need profitability. How are you blending that together? What's your what are you saying to those sales leaders that are struggling right now? They're not seeing, you know, they're they're seeing the headwind of inflation. They're seeing the headwind of labor shortages. They're seeing the headwind of massive amounts of competition. What are you saying to them to be able to balance this?
1: Yeah, and. You know, very, I love the perspective, Uh, you know, believe in capitalism myself. And I would say that if you spoke to those that believe in conscious capitalism, they would agree with you that we absolutely have to keep profit in mind. This is not about killing capitalism, this is about thinking bigger than just shareholder return. And so, what we're generally saying to clients who are facing these headwinds is look, number one, you got to take the long view. Um, most, most that are in business to, uh, to make the play, make the world a better place are doing this from the long view, not in the next quarter. So the, the stress put on especially public companies to you know to give guidance and to meet quarterly numbers is exacerbating the problem we have to actually make business do more than just provide shareholder return. Um, In fact, Paul Pullman, who is a former CEO of Unilever, I mean, he was one of the early guys out there that stopped giving guidance. And they said, look, Unilever is going to be about sustainability at its brand core. We are going to create products that do more, uh, that do better for the world than they have in the past. And he was able to return over his 10 years, incredible returns. So... And he, I would say, is a conscious capitalist. He is somebody who is thinking about the employees and the customers and the communities in which they operate beyond just making money, but they still made money. It wasn't, it's because they weren't focused on it. They were focused on taking care of everything else and the money came. Yeah. So that's, yeah. I think, I think that you can do both. Um, and there are a lo- there's a lot more evidence today than there was even 10 years ago that it's possible.
0: Yeah, quick aside, and and hopefully this isn't too much of a tangent, but oftentimes mm-hmm. it goes to mindset. What's the mindset yes. that you have, right? Or do you have this mindset of scarcity? And mm-hmm. I think that's where a lot of socialism falls, right? It's 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 a sunk or um, what do they call it? A uh, not a sunk game or it's not a sunk game. What do you? A the, sunk you
1: know, cost or not a yeah.
0: sunk cost? It's. Um, Ah, shoot, where there's only so much. Zero-sum right? game. That's what I was looking for. Thank yes. you, Jeff.
1: <laughs> the rescue.
0: What a you conscious capitalist that was rescuing me. So it's, yeah, it's, a, you know, it's, uh, say that again? It's a, a what?
1: Zero, it's not a zero-sum zero sum game. game. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: so they look at it as a zero-sum game, and I can't give it uh right attribute, but one of the, it's either Keller or Williams, one of the people that came up with Keller Williams, mm-hmm. said that money's only good for the good that it can do. Oh, Wow. And I love that, right? Because I want to make just gobs and gobs of money so I can do more and more and more. You know, I have mm-hmm. such, such respect. I might disagree with them on a lot of things, but I have such respect for um, a Bill Gates or mm-hmm. a Jeff Bezos or uh, you name it, who's giving up so much of their wealth. I love that, right? And that's mm-hmm. what capitalism can bring. So let's talk through this. How can we help those that might be listening to pull these together so they can leverage MarTech with that sales leadership to drive this? So how are you seeing the best sales leadership that you're working with to leverage that MarTech?
1: You know, I think your your point about mindset is critical. So if the leadership of the company... Isn't bought in to this idea of purpose, let's just call it purpose-driven, whatever label we give it, conscious capitalism, value capitalism, but it's capitalism with purpose beyond shareholder return. If the leadership all the way to the CEO and the board are not built are not bought into this, Brian, in our experiences, this is going to likely fail because you've got to start at the top with a vision and passion for this idea. Um, so great sales leaders in our experience are going to deliver no matter what the philosophy of the company is. This just allows them to probably tie into something they personally believe in as well. So for example, maybe it's working with certain types of companies if you're a B2B company that fit better in this purpose-driven values versus just transactional relationships. Um, if you think about it from a professional services firm, you know, we're trying to work with clients who are like-minded. And when we do that, our employees, you know, it helps our employees from a retention standpoint, big time, because we actually give our employees the opportunity to work on business that they believe in or don't work on business. If they don't believe in it, imagine that kind of a thing where, If you believe so much in this work, or you're so principled that this type of work is not going to fit with you, that is the kind of future we are facing with employees, and it's here right now. Um, So in my view, whether you're a sales leader, whether you're somebody in the C-suite, or whether you're the lowest rung, you're going to probably have a better experience when you know the work you're doing day in and day out is to do more than just return to a set of shareholders.
0: And it goes back to, and that's the funny thing, right? We, we put new labels on these, but there's really, it's all the same. If you If you get hired for a role, you're gonna work a lot harder if you know how what you're doing on a daily basis is impacting the goal, the winning of the team. I mean, it's, it's just what totally. everyone wants. Everybody wants, I want to feel autonomy. I want to feel that I can be really good at what I do, that sense of competency and significance in what I do. And my perspective then that I'm, I'm taking from you is that this conscious, conscious or conscious capitalist from a sales leadership standpoint, it is going to really look to ensure that their people are getting that.
1: Yeah, and, and they're just getting more value out of the job they do as well. So I'll give you an example. I mean, we have an SDR, young gentleman on my team who does a great job for us, right? Um, the The types of companies we have him calling on are those that we want to do business with that are also very like-minded from a value standpoint. Now, contrast that if we just had him calling out on anybody, any brand, anything that would bring dollars in. I mean, what kind of meaning does that help create in his young career for when he moves up in the sales leadership role and can actually pass along those same things? Like, we can't just do business with everybody. We're not going to do business with everybody. That creates a very different dynamic for that SDR because they know they're contributing to the purpose of the business overall.
0: Yeah, yeah. so your IC, whenever you're looking at that I, uh, ideal customer profile, that ICP list, yep. how are you identifying, because it's hard enough to identify the ICP, let alone whenever you start to put uh, characteristics, right? So uh, values-based as part of that ICP list. So how are you going about figuring that out?
1: Man, that I wish there was a list, <laughs> but there's not. Um, and you're right, we have to do um, a lot of pre qualifying. Uh, so, and we don't get it right all the time. No way. We are pulling lists, looking at companies, and trying to devise what we can from publicly available information. Where we really figure it out, Brian, is in, in the sales cycle when we get into uh, discovery calls, right? So now we're having a conversation with this brand new prospect. We're sharing our values about what's going on and asking them very specifically about theirs. And that helps us define whether we're going to be a good fit for them long-term or not. And like I said, we're not hundred percent accurate at this, but we're, we're trying it. We're attempting it.
0: So give us a couple of examples. What are some examples of when we hear this, we know absolutely that they're not going to be a right fit.
1: Hmm. So, uh, um, Maybe it's less about what we might hear. Um, Let me think of an example recently. So talking to a company, let's say, in the architecture, engineering, and construction industry, right? And they very clearly on their website are supporting ESG, right? They're making a conscious effort to um, to make progress on their environmental, social, and governance numbers in their company well right then and there i now have a good indication that they've at least gotten through one qualification with us that is more like-minded with us because we also believe very much in that now if we get on the phone and we're actually talking to them about helping them with their esg communication and all they're giving me signal wise is you know we're just doing this to check the box the board says we need to get a report out i just got to get a report out then I got an indication that maybe they're not living those values, they're doing it for, um, for other reasons, more transactional reasons. So we're not so great that I'm in a place that I can say no to every prospect we encounter, but I've got that permission because our leadership very much believes in our values and we can say, hey, you know what, I don't think this is a great fit.
0: Yeah, and it would be curious, right? So when you're privately held, it's a lot easier to be able to do this. And if you have yes. one owner or a small group of partners, that lift on capital, that lift on revenue, it doesn't have to be quite as high. But if you're VC backed, going for next funding rounds, whatever that might look like, there's a lot of a lot different pressure mounted on on them. And I'm curious how they would uh, be able to withstand this. And are you working with any of those types
1: you know We do. We have several clients that are PE backed for sure. And you're right. The pressure in that five to seven year term to return on investment is huge. But I will tell you that those PE firms are also looking at other things now beyond that return. They're looking to help that client potentially get themselves set up for IPO. And we know that when they go into that realm, they're absolutely going to have to think beyond just shareholder. Because you've got SEC you know, regulations that are under, are under development right now that are going to start demanding more disclosure on this. You've got massive um, investment funds out there that are demanding it. And the, at least the data we have seen is showing that't it it, it's not a hindrance on performance if you consider other things, other tenants, uh, beyond just shareholder return. So even those PE-led you know, ventures somehow, some way are going to have to start thinking that way if they want long-term performance.
0: Got it. Okay. So to, to really sum, sum up what we're talking about, it's conscious capitalism, look out for others, right? Be others focused, um, do <laughs> crazy thought, do what's right. And I guess from your MarTech experience, it's really just use it, right? So you're leveraging HubSpot, any other MarTech that you're, you're leveraging or, or really suggesting to others?
1: You know, from a from a CRM, if I think about the entire stack, from mm-hmm. a CRM perspective, you know, Saxon, we are um, mostly seeing Salesforce, HubSpot, some Microsoft Dynamics, right? Um, those baseline tools have pretty much coalesced into the big three and then everybody else. Um, the marketing automation tools that stack on top of those, that's still a huge sea of opportunity. Now we we believe that for our clients and for ourselves, HubSpot fills that space really well for us, but they're getting more vertically integrated too, right? You can have a, a website CMS and all your social CMS in that same HubSpot stack. You can do that in Salesforce. You know, you can do that in a bunch of other tools as well. So my point is that even though there are a lot of tools out there and you can't say that because we use a particular tool, we're more, you know, of a conscious capitalist or purpose driven, I would relate them this way. We're trying to be more respectful of the people that we are trying to do business with by being more efficient, more direct, more authentic, and putting the right message in the right place at the right time versus just, you know putting out all of this garbage and marketing automation in the marketing tech stack helps us do that. It helps us be more helpful to our prospects. And that to me is a very, you know, a very conscious capitalist kind of mindset.
0: So that seems counterintuitive, right? How can I do sequencing yet right message to the right person at the right time? How's, how's that working? Because sequencing, Plug and chug, right? Here you go, generic message out. You know, even if it's a little bit crafted or specific to an industry, how are you aligning those two?
1: Yeah, you know, sequences are one thing, sales email sequences. But then I'm thinking more about after the prospect or the contact has interacted with whatever we've sent, email, phone call, you name it that's when it starts getting more customized so for example if they are downloading a piece of content and they found it helpful and they are responding to us we're going to put them in a different workflow than somebody that just opened the email but didn't click through right Um, so the actions that the user takes helps dictate what kind of next action we will do and to me that's where you're talking about right message right time you can do that with paid media very much as well we have them working hand in glove. So we know if somebody has served an ad, you know, let's call it a mobile ad they've gotten and they actually take action through it. We're going to know where that came from so that we know how to treat that next interaction with them. We are not treating and we don't advise our clients to treat every prospect and customer the same way. Does that make sense?
0: It does. And that's where I wasn't sure where you're going with this because if we're going to be tight on messaging, if we're going to be tight in delivering the right message to the right person at the right time, I was expecting to say more of an, uh, you know, not to steal their, the line, but it's been called account-based management now, right. Or account-based marketing. Now I was expecting to go more that personalized account-based marketing. And I was kind of curious how you're doing that at scale, Mm. but it seems to me what you're really doing is, Leveraging the typical channels on the front end, top of the funnel, that very, very entry level awareness—it's still a, a
1: quantity play, although
0: targeted. It's still quantity play that you're doing.
1: It is in our case, yes. It all depends on, of course, who you're who you're um, selling to, um, and what the brand is that you're you know you're actually selling. But you're right. In our case, we are still have more of a quantity play at the top but we're trying to treat the people that start interacting with us in different ways as they come through that funnel. Um, That's where I think the personalization can happen also in kind of the long term sales cycles. If you think about some, you know, large businesses with large, long sales cycles, you've got to nurture that person along the way. So in that case, you're talking about trying to be as helpful as possible with the content you're giving them in that drip campaign. And it's going to be different for every persona. We are advising clients to get down to the level of persona-based content that's delivered based on their actions. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, because too few people are doing that. Uh, they'll they'll treat a CEO message the same way that they're going to treat a first-time sales manager, for goodness sakes, or, yes. or you, you name the position. The... this, and I guess that's what I'm trying to figure out, right, and and where I was curious to see where this conversation was gonna go, because of how noisy it is out there, with more and more automation, I was, uh, Todd Capone, he, he writes, um, the transparent salesperson, I think, is the name of his book, and he has a great line. Right, salespeople can screw it will screw anything up, because it, you are know, we got the telephone. Yay, we got the telephone, and now we're calling everybody, and and so then they put in answering machines, and then they put anti. Um, they, they, they put the do not call list and then we started doing email and now we have spamming and all kinds of other laws because we can screw thing up because we see, oh, finally, there's this channel and we go to this channel to use it. And what I'm trying to figure out, and I haven't gotten it yet. So if anyone out there listening has this uh, how to do this, let me know. But what I'm trying to figure out is, OK, no matter the technology that we bring to bear, no matter what we call it, it's still getting noticed. It's still being able to say, stand out you know, within how do you differentiate yourself as a, the wave in the, the world of waves out there?
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: it's just getting noisier and noisier and noisier. So that's, I, I guess, what I'm trying to figure out here, Jeff.
1: Well, you know, a couple of interesting things you said there, Brian. I agree with you that you, you're going to have to, marketing still has to serve the purpose of awareness and consideration. It's got to open that door but we know because of technology, the internet, you know, anywhere between what, 60 and 70% of that buying cycle happens before the buyer even reaches out to a salesperson or interacts. So especially in B2B.
0: Yeah. Let me, and let's hit on that, right? Because Mm -hmm. that's to me where too much of us are falling down, right? We, and I'm still waiting for the, the marketing person to give me the answer to this, but if I'm that sales person and I have to hit my number, and when it, we help hire salespeople, and one of the top questions always asked is, how did you do against goal? How did you do against your plan? Well, if you didn't do well, you're gonna get fired. If you didn't do well, you're not gonna get hired in a new place. And whose fault was it? Well, it was likely the salesperson for not finding out what the quota was before they went in there, it was likely their pro- their fault for not finding out what type of support they're gonna get, how realistic the, the goals were gonna be, right? So that's that's a key piece. So I haven't heard yet what marketing is gonna tell that salesperson that, yeah, I know that the leads aren't coming through. Yeah, I know the quality isn't there. And, and I'm suggesting that salespeople still have to do outreach. They still have to do their portion to tie in with marketing. Cause it's not marketing here and sales over here anymore. It's really integrated into this marketing. Totally. And totally. so that's, that's where I'm trying to get, get this, this all figured out because it counts. And marketing hasn't given me the answer to what's, what do you say to that salesperson that's going to get fired? What do you say to that sales leader that's down to a 17 month tenure as a VP of sales? Because it's so
1: tumultuous, tumultuous or mm-hmm. bad out there. Um, yeah. Well, what do you say to them? So I would say, hey, look, we're in this together. So our our approach to marketing, we call revenue marketing because Mm -hmm. we feel like marketing is as responsible as sales is for generating those revenue numbers. So in other words, I share this with you. I share this burden with you. So we're going to work on this together. We absolutely have to be aligned all the way from, you know, organic social tweets we're putting out there to the sales enablement tools we're getting. So this is no more siloed anymore. In fact, I think you had a great guest recently, uh, Seamus, who talked about revenue revenue operations. Correct. And and that is, I love that episode because I think that is indeed the future. You've got people who oversee all of revenue operations, including client satisfaction in a lot of cases, because the customer doesn't differentiate all of those, Right. right? We're in business, we separate all of that, but the customer doesn't. So I love that idea. So you absolutely have to be in it. Marketing has to be in it for the sales number. I'm the chief growth officer. I'm over both marketing and sales. And my job is to bring in that sales number, even though I have a marketing you know, responsibility. So you definitely have to make the entire funnel work together. Um, I would also say to them that it's not your fault if we don't meet that number. I mean, there's probably a... Uh, A glitch in the system, not necessarily in you, assuming that this salesperson has been trained in a way that isn't blue blazer anymore, more like white lab coat. And I would love to talk about that for a sec, but the idea that this salesperson is there to help, to listen, to diagnose, and see if we can prescribe the right thing to solve your particular problem. That's white coat, and that is the way we think about our salespeople and how we want to behave with our prospects, not it's all about us and pushing our product on you. If all of those things are aligned well, it's going to be hard to say it's one person's fault because it's a system that you're building that should be delivering this in a way that is predictable, you know, reliable, provable, scalable over time. That's where we are with marketing technology today, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's an interesting concept, right? Because think about it, you know, Aaron Ross, when did he write the predictable revenue model? That was back late 90s, early 2000s. Kind yeah. of thing, right? mm-hmm. So that's whenever this started coming out. And then we get content marketing. HubSpot did an, a wonderful job. And mm-hmm. I, I just read recently, um, which, which was pretty darn interesting, uh, called, uh, bear with me one second. Mm-hmm um, the cold start problem by Andrew Chen. And he talks about the networking effect, right? The, the network effect. And, and there's so much that goes into it all. And I'm kind of curious because there's a sales team, but each salesperson has an individual number. And for so long, salespeople didn't have to prospect anymore. You brought it up before, right? That SDR. The sale, the, the the account executive was just leaning back, having inbound leads come to them, and it was lead conversion. I mean, that's not sales, that's right. that's order taking with with sophistication, right? And Good, yeah. and so that's really become a, a big difference. And goes back to your point of that 60 to 70 percent down the, the, the buyer's track. But at that point, they you're at a commodity, right? You're, you're in a pricing competition with, because it's really difficult to differentiate yourselves right now. And so you're in a really competitive advantage. Whereas if we could get ahead of that from a sales team, from a marketing team, and get them to where you can do what you're suggesting there, that white lab coat type salesperson, to help them realize, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize that there was a cha- or there was a problem. Or I realized a problem. I just thought I was going to have to stick or you know put up with it. Uh, and that's what we're really trying to get to, you know, from yeah. our organization helping people out. So, I mean, how would you say that that would work with all of this technology to
1: stand out a little bit more? Any suggestions mm-hmm. there? Yeah, it's a great question, Brian. I the way we think about it and for ourselves and for our clients is the job of marketing is to deliver a very qualified discovery call or very qualified first contact with that prospect so that they can then shine and do what they do best. They listen, diagnose, and be able to then prescribe. So in that, that buying journey up to that point, we're basically getting them through, you know, Pre awareness, awareness, and maybe into some consideration because they were willing to get on a call with us to find out what we, you know, how we could potentially help. So that part is where all of that great content needs to be present, mostly for search purposes, right? Because most people are starting their internet journey on search and most of those people are starting it on Google. So we're trying to get the content for our clients or for ourselves. To rank high in Google search for sure. And then, if we can get that content in their head in a way that helps advance the sale or answer a question at that particular stage of the buying cycle, then they're going to be more likely to potentially get on a phone and want to talk to us. But for us, the salesperson definitely should be prospecting. We agree with that too, whether it's trade shows or or desktop. But they also should, we should be as marketing delivering this great. Possible experience in a discovery call. Um, that's really our job, I think. Yeah. Now, do you have,
0: do you work with your clients to give them that the math of sales to, to really reverse engineer? How am I going to generate blank leads? Blank leads convert to this many conversations. Yep.
1: Are you able to do that? Absolutely, Brian. In fact, we work backwards from your sales goal. So when we're talking with clients, And they want to talk marketing. Usually it's, hey, I want to run this campaign or that campaign. Can you help me with our social? And we'll be like, time out. We can do all of that. But let's work backwards from your sales goal. And I had one guy tell me, I've never heard a marketing guy care so much about my sales numbers. It's because we believe that we're in this together with the sales team. And I'll tell you what, do you know any CEOs that really care about, you know, um, conversion rates that much or, you know, lead gen? No, they want to know, are we meeting sales numbers? So that's where we start. And we actually reverse engineer it based on conversion rates and any data history they have in their system to come up with those. All right, how many connections are we going to need to make or attempts to connect and what's their conversion rate look like? And what's our average sale look like? We put an ROI calculator together for the clients. So that's revenue marketing for us. And you hit
0: on the head. Yeah, I love the fact that you do that, Jeff, because very few marketers will do that. They'll, eh, you know, well, I can't guarantee you anything. Well, no, but you can guarantee... What you can tell me what the conversion rates are, and from the conversion rates are, then we have to figure out the different activities and behaviors and strategies to do. So what are the conversion rates that we need? And and I haven't found very many to be able to do that.
1: I'll tell you, I think in B2C world, it definitely happens. My experience in the B2C world, we're dealing with you know consumers, those those marketers have been doing this for a while because they've been using Martech for longer than B2B has, and they've been looking at the data. And a lot of those transactions are happening online in the B2B world. I think we're just a few years behind okay. and th- those folks are getting more and more exposed to it, but they haven't ever they They haven't come into contact with marketers that are empathizing with what they have to do from a sales perspective. And so that's, what's different about us and our, our revenue marketing model is we're all in this together. We got to figure out how to do this. And if you have enough data, we can absolutely, over time, start making adjustments and use that to help us predict what's going to actually make an impact. Should we spend more on paid search? I don't know. Well, I'll tell you, if we actually had great data to demonstrate it's producing, um, that channel is producing more leads that convert into deals, then we should put more money into paid search. Um, so the tools are there for us. This is where marketing technology has been amazing. It gives us the data to help make data-driven uh, decisions. But if you're not willing to invest in that, or you're not willing to invest in understanding your buyer inside and out, that's where we find a lot of clients are, then it's going to be difficult to perform the way you want to.
0: Yeah, and that goes back to the interview with Seamus two weeks, two weeks back. Uh, th- that show was taking that friction out of there, understanding the buyer better than the buyer understands him or herself and Mm -hmm. putting the right information in there. Right. Um, Because I I really believe that. Yeah. Now I guess it's marketing too, but the, the point of the salesperson is to be able to uncover the problems and help that person problem solve. It's the number one Attribute that a good salesperson has to have is the ability to problem solve and it seems like marketing now has to be that too to kind of poke it if you get into the challenger sales or challenger buyer it's laying out those those uh, commercial insights to make people aware of holy cow I do have a problem that can be solved this is great. Uh, so interesting on that. last last question then we'll we'll, mm-hmm. we'll move on because my gosh,
1: I didn't realize how much time just went past. Um, <laughs> it's a good conversation, Brian. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, absolutely and I appreciate uh, your your inputs here. So the last conversation that I had is Chris Walker, is uh, refined Labs, as I think is the organization, talks about attribution and it, who cares about attribution. I'm curious about your take on that.
1: Yeah, we do care about attribution. Um, we're, we're tracking you know, multi-touch attribution so that we can use it as one metric uh, to help us determine what's been most successful. So marketing technology allows us to track tons of things. But you, what we end up doing, though, as marketers is tracking too many metrics. We still want to establish a key number of KPIs. That's different than a metric. The metric is the measurement. The KPI is the number we need to hit to drive some activity. So we actually take our, for our clients, we break down their customer journey and we, we establish key KPIs for every stage of the journey. And then we look at what metrics are going to, you know, that we need to grab, track to give us that KPI. So for example... One of our KPIs, we have 12 of them, is um, to actually, you know, is uh, site traffic and top three referrals of site traffic. That tells us, you know, where most of our traffic to the site is coming from and what kind of work we're doing to get them to the site in the first place or to landing pages. You know, we're also looking at um, when we get leads in, one of our things, is, one of our KPIs is, you know, cost per lead. We want to know what we're paying for those leads and then ultimately whether they're converting. Well, if we don't give attribution to everything along that pathway, we're not going to really know what's performing best and what's not. So we're big believers in attribution. It helps you decide where to put your money. What would you say to dark social? I'm going to confess, I don't know what dark social is.
0: Okay, got it. No, so it's a it's a term that came out apparently back in 2013, and I've just started to run into it. But dark social, and the reason that. Um, Walker suggests you no know, attribution errors, whenever you put a great piece of content, it just gets shared around within an organization, right? So it's, uh, I guess, another way of saying it in the old days, you would call it going viral, right? Yeah. But, but it's off of a branded piece or something that people are sharing. So that's that's what they're sh- saying is that's more important. And you can't give attribution to that, but that's likely what's what's causing it. And so I I, it. I, I can, you can argue both sides of it. Mm-hmm. And there's likely not a yes, yes, no, it's probably, it's a both and, right? And if I can get attribution,
1: I'd better get it. Absolutely. And and I'm hoping that that content is getting shared. I'm counting on it, but I may not count it. I mean, that's okay. At least I know that it made its initial impression and got into at least somebody's hands. And that's way more than I used to be able to track. Yeah. Um, and you know, unless I'm doing, unless I'm collecting just a ton of unstructured data, you know, thinking through social um, data, we call that unstructured. So if I'm monitoring the social, uh, the, the, you know, the social sphere and pulling all that data down, I can attribute it to, um, to particular prospects, especially if I know their Twitter handle or their LinkedIn profile. And that information can help inform other behaviors that are going on that I can't actually track through a click or you know a share or a download or anything else.
0: Yeah. And the reason that this is so important is like Jeff was talking about earlier, if I don't know my KPIs, then I can't adjust them. I can't, it's pointless, right? It's vanity matrix or metrics. <laughs> but if I know every stage of that buyer's journey and what those numbers should be. Then if one number is off, then I can go right before it and figure out what the problem is there or right before that. Then you coach, mentor, train, adjust, adapt, new tactics strategies for that so you can fix it. But if you don't know those numbers, it's throwing darts at a dartboard.
1: That That is well said, Brian. That's exactly what we preach is that, look, we know when we start with a new client that hasn't been on this journey before, we tell them the first thing is we're going to set these numbers and they're going to be wrong. But- <laughs> Our job is to get less wrong over time. So if we can optimize, that's exactly what you're right. You you set these targets and we actually adjust every single week. We're looking at our numbers weekly in our accountability meetings. We're looking at lead measures to say, okay, that, that conversion rate off. We need to do something different about it. Here's the real number. How does that impact our pro forma going forward? And that is exactly how you crack the nut. You got to keep pounding it every single week and figuring out what's working. Um, It's hard work, but to me, that is the new marketing and sales. Um, uh, Our consultant who helps us, David Bonney, I would recommend him to anybody. He's amazing. Uh, He says, you know, the old sales style is in the old marketing. Think of it like pickup basketball. Are you you a basketball fan, Brian? I love basketball, yeah. All right. So I'm going to put a plug in here. I'm a KU Jayhawk. We just won the national championship. So very proud of that. And the basketball analogy works. Most sales and marketing people, especially sales, usually go play pickup basketball. They're just figuring it out, doing what they've always been taught, as opposed to getting into an offense. Now, great people, great basketball players in an offense can still use their skills within that offense, but it's when they're all just, you know, running around crazy that we don't have the consistency that we need to get the job done. I think the same thing works for marketing and sales. Use your skills within an offense so that at least you can adjust that offense to make sure you're getting the returns you need. I love that metaphor. Um, David Bonney, he's great.
0: Yeah. And, and so if you don't like basketball, which you're crazy if you don't, but if you don't like <laughs> basketball, then you know call it jazz.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. You're all able to ad lib and adjust, but it's all within those same, uh, you know, twelve notes or eight notes or whatever it is, right? So
1: love it.
0: Yeah. Yep. All right. Now, uh, I guess whenever you see people start to transition to this this approach of being a conscious ca- capitalist, using Martech and good sales leadership, what would you say the biggest challenge or struggle that they face?
1: Oh, usually it's. Um... Patience, because they <laughs> don't is, have any of that. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult because they're just not used to operating this way. And so um, patience at the we need to understand your buyer. We need to do research. We need to look at your data that you have. We need to put personas and journey maps together. That is important. Please don't skip that step, Mr. Client. So the patience to do that. Then the patience to actually put your market your go-to-market plan together. Here's how we're going to work: marketing and sales, hand in glove. The content we're going to create, we actually do funnel scenarios, so we can say at least we can we do some trial runs using software to give you an indication of how we're going to reach that number. All of that though is an education if you've never been through it before. So the biggest challenge we run into is we're doing something for the first time, and do they have enough patience and belief that it's going to work? Yeah, and if you're like me and you have zero patience. Um...
0: The thing to really watch, and I guess what you've talked about here, Jeff, is knowing your KPIs, those leading and lagging indicators. If you're watching the leading indicators and the leading indicators are tracking the way you're expecting, you know the lagging is going to come. So you're not just throwing money away. So watch those and make sure that your people, whoever you're working with, uh, knows how to do this. Now, how about best... um, advice or tip for tactic or strategy that we should use to, to start
1: to go down this path? So pardon me, I would, if you're, if you're in the marketing seat or a decision-making seat on revenue generation, then my first advice is get yourself educated on this new world. Um, Heck, Google revenue marketing, Google marketing, you know, today, anything that gets you closer to this world of um, no more set it, forget it. I mean, this is an action oriented world now with marketing and sales. So educate yourself. Um, I would get educated on MarTech big time. If you have not yet gotten into that world and all you understand really are the acronyms, you've got to go deeper. Um, You need to understand all the parts of the marketing technology stack and how they work together. Get that kind of in order first before you go out and start looking for an agency or looking for a partner so that you're, you know what you're coming up against. Um, there are some folks out there that are just gonna serve a narrow slice of that world. There are others that are gonna do more of what I would call traditional big marketing with you know, advertising campaigns, things like that. You wanna find somebody who is like-minded with you philosophically. So educate yourself on marketing today, then on MarTech, before you go out and start looking for a partner,
0: it's funny that you bring that up. You're saying new marketing approach, and I'm thinking, my gosh, this has been around forever. However, if you're not in this on a day to day, that's right, you forget about it. And I mean, the curious thing is, if you're coming out of SaaS, I mean, they're they're the ones that really have been messing with this and bringing it out. And my gosh, they're you the ones it. that are coming up with the terminology to sell this stuff. I mean, content marketing—that was. Uh, couch by HubSpot, ABM. That was a uh, couch by, what is it? Um, Marketo or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they make their own stuff up as marketing and, and we use it as mainstream. Now it's, it's insane and, and it's easy to forget that. So yeah, absolutely get into this, understand it. And, and as soon as you figure it out, don't worry, it will change. So it
1: makes it more exciting.
0: <laughs> now, how about resources that you might recommend books, podcasts, guides for people to, to do just that, to get uh, ready for this?
1: Yeah, um, boy, there's so many podcasts out there, yours, a bunch of others. So I'm not even going to try to think through those. I will <laughs> tell you, though, I mentioned um, David Bonney uh, at 45.io. It's F-O-U-R-T-E-Y, F-I-V-E.io, has, has one of the best, and I've been through a lot of different sales trainings, I think one of the best philosophies about sales today and he came from the marketing automation world, so he knows how these all work together. Big believer in him, so I would check him out and follow him. The other one, Brian, is uh, called Collective 54. This is a, an organization out there, a membership organization for businesses that are boutiques. A boutique um, you know, is not this huge, you know, publicly traded, these are private, mostly um, all professional services. that's who we deal a lot with. And they wrote a book called The Boutique. And it's all about how, you know, to, to grow and scale and exit your boutique. And I found it incredibly helpful. Great lessons in business across the board, but definitely in marketing and sales, too. They get this space very much. So those are the two I would really push out. Nice. Okay. Appreciate that. Now, what do you see coming down the pike? What's the future hold? So... I think this is this is the nut we're trying to crack. Um, And it ties back to purpose driven work, right? Marketing and business. We still got to have all these major metrics that we track. We still got to take care of sales. But I think what we're really moving towards now is not is impact. What kind of impact are we making as a business in the world beyond just growing our our business? What, what are we not just giving back? It's what are we making impact wise? Whether that's our footprint on the environment, whether that's the people we try to bring in from a diversity, equity, and inclusion standpoint. I think the trend is only going to get bigger and more important that businesses think about impact and not just analytics.
0: Can I put you on the spot? Of course. What's your impact? What's, what's Saxum's impact?
1: Yeah, you're, you're a great question. We um, actually have um, measure, We have goals set, and our first uh, what we call Obsessed for Good impact report is coming out um, after 2022. So we're using 2022 as our first year to measure and put all of it an, an honest report out about it, meaning we've tracked a lot of this stuff, like our diversity in terms of hiring. Um, you know, professional service firm doesn't have a big environmental footprint. But we now have joined the UN Global Compact and we're following um, their six of their SDGs, sustainable development goals. And so we're setting our goals, Brian, against those, and we're going to report out next year.
0: Oh, interesting. OK, perfect. Um, I don't know if mine will count, but uh, here at t- Talent uh, Talent Sales and Scale or in uh, my company, EBS Growth, uh-huh. what we're looking to do is help communities thrive through entrepreneurship. And so our goal is really putting this out. I have a book underway that we're going to be getting out and how to actually do this in this um hybrid workforce world so Mm -hmm. I'm putting out content so I'm really curious for the listeners what are you doing out there Uh, definitely comment back to us what you're trying to do how you're trying to live this more conscientious capital or conscious capitalism type type of life now last question for you who should Mm -hmm. reach out to
1: you Jeff how should they do it and why should people reach out to you yeah, sure. I would love, I love these conversations. So anybody that um, wants to reach out the best way is probably on Twitter, follow me at Riz at Risley ranch. Um, and then spell also- that out. Cause
0: you're, there's yeah. no C in there.
1: That's right. It's R I S L E Y R A N C H Risley ranch. I grew up on a farm, so that's why uh, that's there. And then I would say based on this conversation today, if people go to bold.saxon.com. Forward slash revenue marketing. We've actually got some great content there—a video and uh, an ebook we wrote on this philosophy. So that's where I would direct people if they want to learn a little bit more.
0: Perfect. If you can kick that over to me, and we'll drop it in the uh, the show notes. That would be a lot to. of
1: fun.
0: Cool. Well, hey, I can't thank you enough. So out of this, really, what we're looking for is. Get your ICP, your ideal customer profile, get that value-based if you really want to have this conscious capitalism so your internal customers, your employees can enjoy working with your customers because they're fairly like-minded. Also ensure that you're caring for your internal employees, growing them, mentoring them, helping them to, to win and succeed. And from that, leverage MarTech, leverage that as best as you possibly can to be more specific and guided in your outreach. So you make sure that that message is timely and and really accurate for that that particular person that's bringing value to them. And I would couch value, and I'm curious, Jeff, if you would be okay with this, Mm -hmm. I would couch value as uh, is that content that you're giving them helping them to move along
1: to a decision, the right decision for them? So- you got, you're good at that, man. That was a great summary.
0: (laughs) Great. I love it. Well, hey, thanks so very much, Chef. I really appreciate it. Remember everyone learning for learning's sake is pointless. Let's learning for knowledge's sake. Put your comments in the, in the here, like it, share it, get it out there. We really appreciate you help us to help communities thrive through entrepreneurship. Thanks everyone. See you.